five. Hello, everyone, and I'm so sorry for the long delay in starting this morning's Under the Wire. Um, we had some technical issues. I really need a full-time tech expert to work with me every Saturday morning. If anyone out there wants to raise their hand for this, please let me know. That would be great. Um, I am very happy this morning to welcome Alia um, all the way out from New Zealand. And Alia is a mother who um, became an activist probably three years ago. Would that be about right? Yeah, about yeah. three years ago. Thanks for having yeah. me. <laughs> On this issue. And uh, she's been doing a lot of research and uh, also working with a lot of people in New Zealand uh, regarding the policies and the methods used by the government officials and the media in New Zealand. Um, and I'm really grateful to you for coming to speak with us today, Alia. Uh, so I hear that New Zealand has an epidemic of measles right now, shock horror. Uh, yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, well, it started towards the beginning of the year, and I think it started, first of all, down in the South Island, and that, that got a lot of media attention, and that was only in the, you know, the numbers were in the dozens, really, at that point. And then over the period of few months, it, it managed to make its way up to Auckland. And now I think we are over a thousand cases. Wow. And the majority of those are in Auckland, 800 and something, maybe more now. Yeah. That's as many cases as the United States has said that they have. Um, do you have any information on the vaccination status of those cases? Um, well, we have what they call the ESR here, which and they they publish the um, a weekly measles report, so you can find out um, what they have written down in terms of they have several categories. So they have uh, not vaccinated, partially vaccinated, fully vaccinated, and unknown. And at the moment, the the last report shows the unknowns to be sitting at forty one percent. So that, you know, majority of them, they don't actually seem to know, well, a good, nearly, you know, half, they don't really seem to know anything about their status. Um, the partially and fully vaccinated comes out at about 8% at the moment, and the not vaccinated is around 50. 50%. Yeah. Interesting. That 40 including babies. Sorry, what did you say? Sorry, including the babies that are too young to be. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. No worries. Um, that 41% figure is interesting. Does not known mean that the parents know, but there is no written record from the hospital or the doctor? Are you aware of that? We're trying to find that out. And we sent, we've sent we sent off some um, Official Information Act requests about that to see exactly how they are collating that, that information, what what happens when somebody, because a lot of these are, are actually in adult population. Right. So um, the children really, uh, sort of the three to four to five to nine year olds is really only about 6% of the numbers. So the, the majority of them is, well, maybe 55% is sort of between 10 and 50. So perhaps I think most of those unknowns are in the um, adult population that may not recall whether or not they had a vaccine when they were younger, or maybe they just can't put their hands on the records and I'm not sure which, which, you know, whether if they say they had one and that's um, recorded as partially or whether they have to prove 
some sort of documentation for it. We don't know. Yeah, that's not. It doesn't say. I, well, actually, it is. It's. Yeah, where does it say? I think it's based on documentation or parent caregiver recall. For parents recall. Okay. And if the person mm -hmm. is an adult and they were vaccinated as a child, they may not even know if they were vaccinated. Huh. And the interesting thing is I read a quote from, I believe, your health minister saying that people shouldn't even bother trying to check and see if they were vaccinated. They should all just go out and get revaccinated. Um, <laughs> because it's perfectly safe thing. and you can have as many as you like. Yeah. yeah. In fact, it's actually gone further than that. East, last night I found out that some of the um, regions are now denying titer testing. So you, they're just saying we're not even going to do the titer tests. Um, you have to just you just get another booster. It's cheaper for everyone to just get another booster and not actually find out. Yeah. Well, I mean, in an economic sense, as far as the cost of a vaccine and the cost of a titer test, it might indeed be cheaper. But when you look at the ongoing costs of, you know, taking care of someone who was injured by that measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, which might have been unnecessary, even in the medical sense, because if they had checked, they may have found that they had antibodies to the disease, mm -hmm. then no, the cost is far higher to just revaccinate without looking at what the situation is. Yes. The health minister should get all the vaccines first. And I second that motion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yes. All right. Um, so um, I, I would like to speak with you for a minute about one of the, um, I guess, New Zealand heroes the man who jumped up on stage at the vaxxed screening in wow. probably Auckland, was it? Um, it was up in the far north, I think. Oh, the far north, okay. Hacker. Yeah. Um, Lance O'Sullivan, uh, who is Australia's answer to uh, Dr. Pan and uh, so many other people. Um, mm. He has recently come out and said that parents should be forced to vaccinate. And in fact, there should be no jab, no school in New Zealand. And I'm going to try very hard to make sure that this does not ruin our, our connection. But I want to share this video from Lance O'Sullivan, if you'll bear with me for a minute. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Are you able to hear him? I can't hear it. Is it going no. now? It is going, but there's, all right, it's not working. <laughs> we'll forget about the video. Just bear with me one second and I'll get us back. There we go. Okay, we're back again. And I think I'm just not going to be able to share videos right now. I'm still having uh, some kind of a problem with the sound. So um, I'm not going to worry about it too much, but maybe you can share a bit of your impression of Lance O'Sullivan and what he's been calling for. 
Right, well, for those people that don't know, he was named New Zealander of the Year a few years ago. He, he's been in the media quite a lot for his views on um, vaccines and vaccination, and um, he has a business, I think, that he's focusing on some kind of like drive-through doctoring. So you go through a drive-through kind of clinic where it's fast, fast-paced. <laughs> I don't know, diagnosis and dishing out of various kind of medicines and things, who knows, as well as an online, some kind of online thing as well that he's right. trying to promote. He was, he was talking about getting into politics maybe last last election, but I haven't seen anything more about that. But um, And recently he's been calling for the no jab, no pay in particular, so trying to link that to either to um, people's welfare benefits uh, or working for families here in New Zealand is like a, a tax credit that you can get um, or for those who are in the bracket above that the higher income earners he was calling for some kind of higher tax rate to be put on them if they do, if they choose not to vaccinate their children right yeah right he's not alone there's a lot of people in the media who are, are saying the same thing so lots of TV hosts radio hosts um, well, so I had a whole list of people but mostly TV and radio and, and the occasional politician. What many people may not be aware of is that no jab, no pay and no jab, no play in Australia were actually a Murdoch media initiative before they were ever um, enacted as legislation. The media actually wrote the legislation for the government and it's probably very similar in New Zealand. But I did see an interview with your prime minister, Jacinda Ardern, the other day, and uh, the, the journalist came right out and said, would you support no jab, no pay? And she said no. She didn't even think twice, no. Uh, and that is interesting, especially considering the fact that she has a young baby herself. Yes, and I mean, they're definitely doing... Doing what you'd expect them to do. They're calling for everyone to take it seriously and go and get your vaccines and all of those sorts of things. But the, the Prime Minister and also um, the health experts like Dr Nikki Turner, who is from, I think, the Immunisation Advisory Committee or whatever they're called, the IMAC, right. um, to Auckland University, she has said the same thing, that that's... Um, that, that she doesn't think that that would work, and there's lots of reasons for that that she's given. They're starting to they're starting to admit now that there's well, what they're saying is that there's pockets of vulnerable people, of susceptible people, mostly in the sort of older teens, young adults, maybe up to about thirty, I guess, or between maybe even twenty and and fifty. You know, they have that magical idea that if you were born after 1969, then everyone's susceptible. Um, so they're saying that because of the changes in the schedule at different points in time, that there's people that have been missed. And because we didn't have a register back then, then there's no way of actually tracking, tracking the records of who, who has been um, vaccinated and who has not. Right. So it seems to be leading potentially towards a situation where there's going to be a campaign for catch-up adults yes yeah and i think that's very much behind what is happening now with these outbreaks both in new zealand in the united states in australia um, lifetime vaccinations is what people are asking for now mm. and um, it's 
it's just the case that this is a great marketing campaign, maybe not such a good scientific campaign, but mm. definitely one for marketing. Yeah. Especially when you read the, the studies that talk about like that third shot have, have having such tiny efficacy, you know, it lasts for what, 150 days or something mm. like that, than that journal of infectious disease um, article about the um, immunoglobulin plasma levels in the donors. That's right. Um, so, you know, it, it, while it might be okay to get your second one, then what happens when that wears off? What do you do then? Yeah, exactly. You know? Just, well, that's the whole idea. Keep getting them. Keep getting yeah. them. That's, you know, what's being pushed is if one vaccine is good, 50 vaccines is 50 <laughs> times better. So, um, you know, there is no... I, I just attended a workshop online by the Immunization Coalition, which is a, an industry government conglomerate in Australia. And they were talking about the whooping cough vaccine. And one of the nurses who was an attendee specifically asked, can we be giving too many vaccines? And the woman who is the expert from the Immunization Action Coalition actually stated, it is impossible to overdose on vaccines. Wow. So, there is no duty of care. And with measles, um, the vaccine was introduced in the U.S. in 1963. And at that time, it was going to be one shot for life. Mm. And uh, they said that by 1967, measles would be wiped out worldwide. 1967, mm. that's a long time ago. And we still have measles outbreaks. And I don't know if this information has been released in New Zealand or if it's been accessed in any way, but do you know how many of those who have been diagnosed with measles in New Zealand have actually been tested and found positive for the vaccine virus? That's something that um, there's been a lot of official information acts going into various DHs <laughs> to find that out. And the coordinated um, responses have been quite amusing. So they're obviously talking, all talking to each other. It's hard to get that information out of them. Uh, one person got a one from the Christchurch um, organisation down there earlier in the year, but that was at the start of the towards the start of the outbreak. So the numbers were still quite low then, and I think it was around fourteen or sixteen cases had been identified of um, vaccine strain measles. Um, but they actively they actively remove those cases from the numbers. So they say on the um, I'll just find you exactly what they say. Any this is on the ESR website on their weekly measles report. Any notifications that are found to be due to a vaccine strain are considered not to be measles cases and are removed from the analysis. So they obviously do they obviously are testing strains. I don't think all of them though, like on an OIA I had back. I asked what the strains were that were circulating and they told me there were two at the time. I believe there's four now. Um, uh, where was I going with that? Sorry. Um, That's okay. And, oh, I can't, I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> so we, we were talking about the vaccine strains and you were saying that the government has said that if someone tests positive for the vaccine strain, that it's no longer considered measles. Yes, just yeah. yeah, they take them away. And they also remove, or they they include 
anybody who gets measles within 14 days of having the vaccine, they lump those cases in with the unvaccinated or the non-vaccinated category in the stats. And I think they had those listed at maybe 16 cases. They have said that in brackets underneath. It's hard to know. Oh, that was what I was going to say. They, they, they had, they had, you know, X amount of B3 cases and X amount of D3 cases, and but then that an unknown category that was way higher. So while they had identified some of the strains for some of the people, it didn't seem like everybody was getting tested for the strain, which is. I heard something the other day about, because they're starting to freak out and panic about us losing our WHO measles elimination status. Mm. And the the expert they were talking to on the radio was saying that that is based on the WHO seeing which strains are in circulation, basically, and seeing the numbers of, I guess, maybe if it, I'm not sure what their criteria is for it, but in order for them to monitor the strains, they must be testing for the strains. So it, it, we We'd be really interested to find that out. Yes, and if they are testing for it, then you need to access that information. It is amazing how they play with the statistics and mm. don't want to let people know what's actually going on. It reminds me so much of the situation with polio, because if you had gotten the polio vaccine within, I think, 30 days of developing symptoms of, um, of paralysis, you were diagnosed as having been incubating the disease to begin with, and the vaccine was just a coincidence. Coincidence, um, yeah. And I think that's very much what they're doing with measles. Mm. And the interesting thing about the strain also, uh, we've spoken with Dr. Loretta Bolgan from Corvelva, who has tested the, um, the MMRV vaccine. And what she has found is that the strain of the measles virus that is in the vaccine varies from vial to vial. So wow. and none of it actually matches wild measles. It is completely different because it's been attenuated. And because of that attenuation and because of various other chemicals that have been added to the vaccine, it no longer has any relation to the st circulating strains of measles. So what she speculated is it is so different from the circulating measles strain, that all it does is vaccinate people against the strain that's in the vaccine, not against the strains they're going to be encountering in, um, in, in the wild, so to speak. So if we're seeing lots of people coming forward or being diagnosed with vaccine strain measles, well, it is very possible that the, the vaccine that they got had a different strain in it. And mm -hmm. they're then exposed to someone who's vaccinated and they're getting it from the vaccine. Mm. So, yeah. It'd be nice to know, know, wouldn't it? It'd be it so nice to know. Yeah. Uh, and last night I was reading something that we're talking about, um, that they're the blaming it that now that it could be a new strain, which is why so many people are getting it. Um, and, and also that a nurse from an Auckland hospital has um, said... I've, I've yet, I haven't talked to her, but I've heard this secondhand, but from a reliable source, that over half the cases that they're getting to the hospital have had a vaccine for measles, and that they have been told by the hospital to keep that quiet. So, yeah, it'd be really interesting to find that out. You just preempted my next question, which is, is there much evidence that the government is trying to suppress information on the vaccinated getting measles? 
um, yeah well, they are. yeah i mean whether that comes from a government kind of level thing or just the hospital itself or the local dhb i'm not sure but somebody's telling them to to keep that on the lowdown because i can't imagine that that would go down well in the um in the community if that got out no mm. no not at all and what we're seeing is that there's so much propaganda around the measles outbreak if there even is an outbreak um, it seems to me that outbreaks are used at times when we need to push more vaccines or push vaccines in a different age group but for financial reasons not for health reasons mm. um, and i wonder if there is any evidence about whether measles is uh, affecting people of Maori descent more than people of Caucasian descent? Um, let me have a look. There is a chart of that. Because yeah. we, we find that with Aboriginal populations in Australia. Um, okay, so it does definitely... So you've got, at the moment, the... the um, outbreak or that it's often getting called an epidemic now um, is in mostly in South Auckland which is a lower socioeconomic generally um, part of the country and the total of Māori and Pacific Islanders who have are part of the statistics it looks like it's around 570 to 600 of those 938 cases so so close to two-thirds yeah yeah and you would think that most of them would have been vaccinated because if it's anything like australia those are the populations that get targeted with the most vaccines possibly yes i can't yeah. say on the stats that i've got in front of me um what their kind of rates are i think generally they some of the core um, communities do have lower rates and that's what the experts are bringing up recently is that there's barriers to accessing the vaccines which uh, could be anything from the family having debt at the local um, doctor's practice and not wanting to take their children in because while the vaccine itself is free and the care for the child is free they still have a debt there or that the hours that they're available you know nine to five Monday to Friday doesn't work for people who are, who are working um, so there's, there's other kind of things that play in there that might be affecting the lower rates of their vaccin vaccination within those um, people. But the, the charts that I've seen are generally still showing around the 95% for the different regions in New Zealand for MMR, so at, at four-year-old age, so I don't, I don't know. There seems to be a lot of different reporting on those stats within the media and I'm not quite sure who's getting information from where. Um, I was looking at some charts that Hilary Butler had the other day mm -hmm. and hers were from Official Information Act request up to 2018 from the National Immunisation Register. So her comment was that you can the statistics, the way that they are published, can be kind of seen a whole lot of different ways, and it's quite difficult to collect them and create accurate graphs, which is why they asked for a particular information that gave yeah. um, the collated kind of graphs that they were looking for. That's quite intentional. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Are you aware of any deaths in this current outbreak no. or epidemic? No. No, there, there haven't been any deaths touch wood since 91. 
91. 91. 91. Right. Yeah. I think there was reported to be seven deaths in 91, and I think the cases were between 40,000 to 60,000 cases in that epidemic right. or outbreak or whatever they termed it as back then. Um, so, you know, since then, I think there's been, it's been a bit up and down over the years. So there's been cases, there's, you know, every few years there's a, a pop-up of measles, but nothing nothing in the way of death. So there's been some hospitalizations this time. Um, you explained something to me about how they play with the hospitalization statistic yeah. too. Could you explain that, please? Yeah, well, a few months ago, they were all over the media. They were reporting about how terrible it was and that, you know, 40 to 50 percent of the cases were being hospitalized and how terrible this is and what's going, why is this so bad this time, you know, when that's much higher than they would expect. And so I thought, OK, um, that what does hospitalized mean? And so I got in touch with our um, regional public health service and asked them, so what is the criteria for being hospitalized? And I got a call back from one of the public health nurses and she said to me, she was highly amused that I would even be asking that question in the first place. <laughs> Why do you want to know that? You know, and I'm like, well, I'm just interested. And, um, and so it turns out that all that it takes to be called, to be determined as hospitalized within the statistics at the moment is to be within the hospital system for three hours. That doesn't include the time that you've waited to see somebody. It's just once you've clocked in, clipped the ticket, you're with the nurse, you see the doctor, and you may sit there for a little while, have some tests, have some, I don't know, they might give you some PAMOL or something like that, and then sent on your merry way, three hours. So given that we have... I mean, I've lost count of how many articles there are every day, all day. It's all over the media, it's all on the radio, the TV, the online news. It's just this constant flow of measles, 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 measles. And so I think there's a lot of fear out there. And the parents, maybe younger parents who, who aren't so confident with dealing with health kind of issues at home and um, supporting children through sickness, uh, getting scared, you know, because they've been told that it's deadly and it's a really dangerous disease and there's precious little information in any of these reports as to how to support someone with, with um, measles other than get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think my personal belief is that these people are going straight to the hospital because they're scared, they're terrified. And um, that's why we're seeing higher, higher rates of hospitalizations. Maybe they're there for three hours. It's nothing to spend five hours in a hospital with your children in Auckland. Um, and to call that hospitalised when you weren't even admitted, um, that doesn't make any sense at all. And mm -hmm. someone my age, you know, I'm in my 60s, I, I look at measles and I remember very clearly when everyone got measles and it was not considered anything. It was a rite of passage you actually went around. Your parents would take you to all the neighbors' houses when their kids got measles, chicken pox, mumps, all those things so that you'd get it and get it over with. Someone your age may not remember that, but someone my age well, does. We did. It was the same for me. So I'm in my early 40s, and I asked my mother a little while ago, I said, you know, do you remember, have I had measles or did I get the vaccine? And she couldn't even remember. She said it was so, it was such a non-event. You know, people got measles and mumps and chickenpox and it was like, just like that. You took them around to the other families so that everyone could catch it. And so recently I decided to get my titers done just to see. 
because I wanted to know if my children did get measles, whether I was likely to go down as well. <laughs> and um, and so I had, I came back positive, and then mum actually remembered, yes, we had all had measles um, when I was maybe about six. So, mm-hmm. And it was a huge non-event. So, and you uh, still have antibodies where if you got vaccinated, you probably wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was able to pass them to my children when they were exactly. smaller, breastfeeding, and yeah. Exactly. That's the real immunization, that, not the yeah. vaccine needle. Yeah, it's so interesting how we are so susceptible to fear-based campaigns by people and organizations that have such strong vested interests in ensuring that we do what they've told us to do. Mm. So I really think we need to be uh, thinking, using our brain more often, and uh, not just reacting with our emotions and always looking at when someone is telling us something who benefits from what they tell us? Mm. If, if they are going to benefit in any way, then we need to take that with a huge grain of salt. Absolutely huge. So, yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Um, now, I also read something. I don't remember if it was in what you sent me or just something that I saw myself online. But there are privacy issues here in that people are children in school are being asked to raise their hands if they have not been vaccinated. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, well, I've heard of four four cases where that's happened just within some of the groups that I'm in. So I'm sure there's a lot more than that out there. Um, and from different age groups too, so you've got primary school children and some of them are in high school and they have been asked I don't really know what the reasoning for it was. I think one of them may have been in a science class where they had to either stand up or raise their hand if they had had the MMR. And then those that hadn't stood up were, and how many of you think that you might have had the MMR? And hands go up. And then, you know, there's poor little Johnny sitting in the corner with his hands down, (laughs) you know, feeling kind of, quite singled out because I can tell you that my children have told me that the school is pretty hostile at the moment. It's not something you want to publicize if you haven't had your vaccines. So um, that I think there's been a few angry letters and some meetings with principals and things like that about overstepping the mark with um, privacy. And, you know, that is really no one's business. It's just no one's business. It and isn't. not only that, but on occasion it's gone a step further. So those children who are left exposed as to not having had their vaccines are then berated in front of the class and told you know well, why haven't you? you you know you need to get it and and the children who have spoken back and said that you know they, their parents don't agree with it and in one case said one child had a medical reason not to and the teacher called him a liar so it was like you know wow it's um yeah you know our schools are are we are so um, in, entrenched in this whole thing of no bullying, no mm. bullying, how dangerous bullying is. And here we have teachers and schools yeah. that are actively bullying people. Yeah. And you have to wonder, what <laughs> is this something that's coming down from on high? Or is this something that these individual teachers have just taken upon themselves? Either way, it needs to be stopped. Because it does. It's not, it's not for school. No, it's not for school. I, I, my personal feeling, and I, I don't know because I, I wasn't there and I don't know these teachers, teachers but my personal feeling is it's just a, a consequence of the hype. You know, if all you're being fed all the 24-7 is measles mania, 
then it, it sort of does filter into real life. It's up to the teacher to remain professional in their in their position of you know it's a it's a privileged position um, to to keep their mental and emotional well being of their students top of mind. You know you yes. can't. That's not. It's just just in no way is it a, a good thing to do. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it's it should be stopped. It's it should be illegal, actually. Yes. But, well, I, the uh, one yeah. one person that I have heard back from who took it up with their teacher, um, the teacher apologised. You know, vividly. She was really quite horrified that it that she'd that it was. She hadn't thought it through basically, and so mm -hmm. she wasn't going to do it again. So, so I hope that it wouldn't be coming down from anywhere above. Right. Right. Yeah. In New Zealand, do you have vaccine clinics in schools where they administer vaccines in the school setting? Um, well, most of the vaccines are given before school starts, but there are campaigns that happen at about 11 and 12 years old. So there's one in year seven, which is, I'm not sure what, whether, how that... HPV and Yeah, it's... um. The DTAP basically booster, um, and then Gardasil at um, age 12. Right, so those yeah, are actually administered in school, but not before then. No, no. oh well, you we get your four or five DTAPs prior to that, but this is a, like a booster that they have yes. at school age. And then I think now, because of this particular outbreak, they are they're bringing in vaccinators to schools to um, vaccinate the children who think that they need an extra one. For the MMR, yes, yeah. just specifically for that, but that's not a normal thing. That's a no. yeah. You're way ahead of Australia, and this is the thing. Um, I've lived in Australia for almost 32 years now, and I've always looked at New Zealand as this beacon of light for us. This place where people are strong, and they're not going to let anyone tell them what to do. And the government will always listen to the people. And when I see the same things happening in New Zealand that I see here in Australia, it, it gives me grave concern. Now, unlike Australia, New Zealand actually has a Bill of Rights. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, we don't have that. Do yeah. you think that that will provide any protection against legislation like no jab, no pay, or no jab, no pay? Has anyone looked at that? Well, I think that people will certainly fight it if that came down to it. Yes, I mean, the Bill of Rights um, that I've got here under Part 2 is the right to refuse to undergo medical treatment. So right. we've got that, and we also have um, a Health and Disability Commission, let me see, that which we call the HDC Code, and that has several different rights that would come under, that would be in breach of something like that was happening, basically informed consent and your ability to um, make decisions without coercion or harassment, uh, the right to be fully informed, um, to have an explanation of the options and the side effects and all of that kind of thing. Um, yeah, but yes, so basically the right to be able to have your answers, que uh, questions answered in terms of research and that sort of thing as well. Right. Yeah, in Australia, we have that as a policy, but we have no legislation to protect us and no Bill of Rights. So I really wow. feel that we need to enact a Bill of Rights. And yeah. once we do, I think it will help us to overturn 
legislation like no jab, no pay, and on the state level, no jab, no play. Mm. Um, it's pretty horrendous what's happening in Australia right now. And what's happening in California, in the United oh, States, gosh. everybody's up in arms. But that's, that is Australia 2016. What's happening in California is exactly what happened in Australia. We cannot get medical exemptions. Uh, doctors will not give medical exemptions because they're struck off if they do. Yeah. So, honestly, um, we need to do something because uh, our rights have been removed without mm -hmm. a referendum, without any uh, inquiry into the population. We just lost our rights. So good on New Zealand. I'm glad you have that Bill of Rights, and hopefully it will protect you going yes. into the future. Yeah. Yeah, um, we hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> um, regarding exemptions to vaccination in New Zealand, is there even a need to get exemptions? No, no. You don't have to do anything. No, you just say no. That's it. And, and that's it. And long may that last. I can't. I can only. You know, personally, I think if that sort of thing starts coming in. If they bring in the need to apply for exemptions, whether that be personal belief or religious or medical, it just seems like that's a slippery slope to having them, those things yanked one at a time again later. You know, like I, I, I think people would fight, fight quite hard against that if that were to happen. Yeah, that is exactly what happened in Australia. Um, we had legislation that was going to come in to basically make vaccination compulsory in 1998 and the ABM lobbied against that and what we were able to do was to get a conscientious exemption clause put in but you had to go and see a doctor in order to get them to sign your conscientious exemption and of course over years as the pressure increased as more vaccines came into the schedule as more money was involved all of a sudden we got no jab no pay and no jab, no pay specifically states that the only exemption that's available uh, if you're, is if your child has an anaphylactic reaction to a vaccine. Yes, I've and read that on your website. That's right. Yeah. And even then, let's say you have an anaphylactic reaction to the MMR vaccine. You will not get an exemption to any other vaccine until you've had an anaphylactic reaction to that one. And the right. doctor has to witness the reaction and then be willing to sign an exemption form saying that the reaction was bad enough to exempt you from that shot. Yes. So basically, the government wants you to vaccinate to death. Yes. Yeah. It's so wrong. It's just so wrong. It is. It is. Yeah. And a lot of people are opting out of the system. A lot mm -hmm. of people are getting together and forming um, preschools and childcare centers where no money is exchanged, but they're simply sharing care. Um, it was brought out in incredible support networks in so many areas of Australia. So, you know, when the government has pushed so hard, the people have said, okay, if that's how you want to play it, we will protect ourselves, we will take care of our families and our children, and we will make sure that your uh, discrimination and bullying and intimidation and penalties won't affect us. Mm. And that's what so they, going they to don't say. have any, um, they're not going after the homeschoolers yet? Uh, in Queensland, I have heard that they might be, but homeschooling is a bit of a difficult thing because it is legal in Australia. And the reason we don't have no jab, no school, I believe, from speaking with lawyers and looking into this information, is that schooling is mandatory in Australia, whether it's 
schooling in a state school, a private school, or a home school. So to restrict access to school would, I believe, require an amendment to our Constitution. And so I think they've, they've come just short of that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there are definitely moves to try and restrict homeschooling or unschooling. We've got a lot of unschoolers, too. So, um, yeah, that, that is definitely an attempt. But I don't think they're going to be able to without an amendment uh, and without a fight. Mm. And, uh, that's that's one of the things that um, that I don't think I don't think they want to go that far. They want to be able to do what they're doing, basically making people think that vaccination is compulsory for school, and many people do think that, yes. um, but not actually enact legislation to do that. So um, it's it's pretty shocking what's happening in New Zealand, but I take heart by the fact that you still don't have to get exemptions and that you do have a Bill of Rights that you can fall back on should the governments decide to step over that line, which I think they're doing now. Um, Jacinda Ardern, has she come out and said anything other than uh, no to no jab, no pay. Has she come out and said we should be increasing vaccination rates in New Zealand or anything like that? Well, I think that they actually removed the 95% target when they came in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that it wasn't that they didn't want to reach it. It was for other reasons. I'm not quite sure what they were. I have heard, but I've forgotten now. <laughs> um, uh, she, they've just, I think that they've, they've put aside extra money towards... Um, making more vaccinators available and that sort of thing so that they can address this outbreak. But um, really it's just been their sort of fleeing for people to go and take it seriously and go and get their vaccines. It's really been their message um, in the last few weeks anyway. Yeah. It's interesting that they removed that target. Did, Did she, this is just my own curiosity, did she have her baby when she was already prime minister she was made prime minister while she was pregnant right so she yeah. gave birth while she was prime minister that yeah and i think she had about six weeks off or something like that but her husband or partner looks after their baby right right that's fantastic to have that yeah um, yeah it's it's interesting i want to know really what she thinks about all of this but the fact that she's straight out said no to no jab no pay and has taken away that 95 percent target means that she's smarter than the majority of the leaders of every other country in the world (laughs) so that's fantastic to hear um i have oh okay i do have a couple of questions that i put down for if we have time you'd written down um about authentic resistance courses. I have no idea what that means. Could you explain that? Um, Okay, so there's a couple of women here in New Zealand uh, who are running a couple of courses that they do about basically about informed consent and as it applies to New Zealand and our laws and um, our system. And I think that they cover things like the schedule and our HDC code and the Bill of Rights and various kind of topics around that. I've, I've attended one and another they do is a home health care course. So that's basically what, what it sounds like. So it's about how to look after your little ones at home using natural medicine and yeah. common sense basically. Um, 
and lately they've been coming under fire with uh, from I don't know if you've heard of there's a doctor here called Dr Helen Petusis Harris. Oh yes, I have. Yeah. She's the one who went to Samoa when those babies died from the measles and said that it wasn't the vaccine; it was the way no. the nurses administered the vaccine that killed them. Yeah, so, you know that's how much. And she was also an expert witness in some case where she absolutely knew nothing about vaccines. So yeah, I know of her. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, she she had a, a bit of a a go at their course in the media, and I think she published something on her blog, which then got put into the um, online news articles and things like that. Mm. Basically, you know what you would expect, just running them down. And and of course, no one's ever been to any of these courses to actually know what they're saying. And <laughs> given that they hadn't interviewed them, they were just working on what they thought that they were saying within these. Um, within these courses, these day-long courses, and how no one should really go, and, you know, it's just misinformation and, you know, what you would expect, really. Yeah. Just targeting anyone who is not falling in step with the line that they, safe and effective, safe and effective, go and get your vaccines. Yeah. It's like all the people who criticize Andrew Wakefield's 1998 article but have never actually read it. And yeah. They say all these things that are supposed to be in there that are never even mentioned. Um, so you don't need to be informed to criticize someone. All you have to know is that they are not necessarily 190% behind all vaccines for all people at all times. Mm. And that's enough to say that it's misinformation and uh, doesn't contain science. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, I would just like to mention, I know that you're not a representative of the organization, but for the people who are watching this from New Zealand, and we do have people watching this from New Zealand, there is a group. Um, now, I've put some information at the top of this uh, broadcast, but there is a group in New Zealand that is comparable to the ABN. It's actually much older than the ABN. It started in 1988 and it's called WAVES. And if anybody is looking for information and support, it's wavesnz.org.nz. So um, I recommend that people who are interested in this issue should go and, um, and access that website and get information. Is there anything you'd like to add after our conversation? I think you've been Oh gosh. I think we um I'm trying to think of what we haven't what we haven't <laughs> covered. I don't really think so. I mean it's just it's basically just sort of surviving the media really at the moment yeah. and not getting drawn into all of the hype. Um yeah, seeing through yeah. seeing through what they're saying. I mean I listened to an interview that Nikki Turner did a few days ago um, that was published on a news article earlier today. She is, Dr. Nikki Turner is like one of the major sort of spokespeople for vaccines. She's linked okay. with the IMAC and Auckland University. Okay. She's often one of the um, doctors that will be approached when there's something to be said about mm -hmm. vaccines or vaccine preventable um, infections. Um, and she was talking about pertussis and how you know deadly it was and all these babies were dying and that sort of thing. And the, and the interviewer asked her, oh, golly, you know, how many babies have died this year? And she just totally skirted it. She just could not. You know, and so I thought, okay, let's find that out. And so I went back and looked, and sure enough, it says on the website of the Ministry of Health that it was between 2011 and 2013 there were three deaths. 
which is terrible. I'm not yeah. trying to say that that isn't. But the way she was kind of promoting it was as if this was happening now in real time, that there were yeah. babies dying. And well, I thought right. if there were, we would be hearing about it, I'm yeah. sure. Um, but that just basically trying to watch critically and listen critically for what these people are saying and be able to spot uh, where they're kind of maybe embellishing a little bit about the risks or, yeah, yeah. And, and I love what you are doing too, which is when you hear something or read something that you don't necessarily think might be true, you go and check it out. And I think we should all be doing that. We can call the health department. We can access the websites that have this mm. data on it. Uh, we shouldn't be taking anything at face value. We should Absolutely. do our investigation. So yeah, if you have a question, that. yeah, definitely send the health authorities an email. <laughs> and if they don't answer it, Put Official Information Act request on the title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Oh, well, Ali, I really appreciate your coming on today. I thank you so much. And uh, please stay in touch and let me know how everything is going in New Zealand. Maybe we'll get you back again in a few months' time and get an update. So, Lovely. Thank you. Thank you oh, so Thanks much. for having me. That was great. No worries. Oh. People don't leave because I still have a few other things to cover, but thank you again, Alia. Okay. And uh, yeah. I will speak with you soon. Yeah. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Okay. Hang on one second. And I'm back here. Now, I just want to discuss a few other things with you before we go. I know that we started late today. If you have to go, that's fine. Um, I'm just going to show you this. Uh, this is from Senator Dick Pan. Uh, and he is one of the movers and shakers behind legislation SB 276 that was passed in California that basically um, makes it difficult for people to send their children to school if they're not vaccinated and don't have a medical exemption. And he is now pushing hard for SB 277, which is um, going to make it, it, it basically steps between the doctor and the parent. It says that the government is the one that's going to determine whether or not your child is entitled to a medical exemption. Uh, in last week's program, I played a recording of, um, I think it was 800 some odd uh, uh, doctor's offices that were contacted to find out if they would write medical exemptions and every single one of them said no. And this legislation hasn't even passed yet. So this is in the Senate um, in a committee. Dr. Pan was talking about whooping cough. And one of the other senators asked him why an outbreak of whooping cough in a school with a very high vaccination rate um, and one that met his so-called standards only affected the students who were vaccinated and none of the students who were unvaccinated. And Senator Pan said, that doesn't mean the vaccine doesn't work. It just means that the vaccine works the way it works. Now, I'm sorry, Senator Pan. That means the vaccine didn't work. If you get vaccinated and <laughs> you still got the disease, that's a vaccine failure. That's a primary vaccine failure. So the vaccine did not work. 
And I guess what you can say about Senator Penn is his making that statement doesn't necessarily mean that his brain isn't working. It means that it's working the way that he's been paid to make it work because Senator Penn has taken tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of dollars from the pharmaceutical industry and his influence has been bought. Uh, and he is one of the most bought parliamentarians, uh, not parliamentarians, uh, senators around. So um, I really believe that uh, Senator Pan needs to be cited and uh, not listened to because what he is doing is um, pretty horrendous. He is basically trying to push vaccinations the way that Australia pushes vaccinations, saying that you cannot get a medical exemption unless the government says that you are allowed to get a medical exemption. And um, it, it's going to cause untold harm to people in California. And this legislation, SB 277, there are many states in the United States because these sorts of things are done on a state basis, not federally. But there are many states in the U.S. that are looking at similar legislation. And they've had amazing protests at the state house in California uh, against this legislation. And despite that, um, they passed the legislation and it's now gone to the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, uh, for him to sign. He is making noises like he wants to amend it, but we'll see if he has the guts to do that. Um, he's under a lot of pressure as well, but um, we're hoping everyone in the world who is involved with this issue is hoping that Gavin Newsom will stand strong and not allow vested interests to force his hand in signing this ridiculous and discriminatory and dangerous legislation. Just a few other quick things that I want to cover. Um, those of you um, who watched Under the Wire last week would know that we have been working with Corvelva, which is a, a scientific organization in Italy that's been testing vaccines. Uh, the AVN is now a, um, called a coalition partner of Corvelva. And as you can see on the screen, this is their page. The link is up at the top of this broadcast. Um, we are the only coalition partner for Australia at this point in time, but we join such great groups as Children's Health Defense, which is Bobby Kennedy's organization, uh, Physicians for Informed Consent and Vaccine Choice Canada, um, as well as the Coalition for Informed Consent. Uh, we are so grateful to Corvelva for all the hard work that they um, have put in on this issue. They've been doing this for decades. And um, we really, really think that, uh, that we need to be, you know, working together in a united way to, um, to oppose any form of vaccine or medical mandate for that matter. Uh, and getting the science and proving that what we've been told about vaccines regarding its safety and effectiveness is not true is a great first step. And on that basis, the AVN recently made a donation to Corvelva to help fund some of their testing. They are an independent organization. I personally joined Corvelva, and I urge everyone to go to their website, uh, corvelva.it for Italy. And you can choose at the top to have the text in English because it will be in Italian when you open it. And um, 
We urge everybody who would like to join the organization to help support them. I think 26 euros is the minimum to join uh, to do so. We have in the past year made donations, um, uh, larger donations to vaccination studies that are ongoing in the United States and in the UK. And this is because our members have specifically asked us to do this. So we are supporting the science uh, behind vaccination. We are supporting efforts to test both vaccine safety and effectiveness. Uh, and we hope that you will support the AVN uh, so that we can continue to support these efforts. Uh, at the top of this broadcast is a link to our join and sponsor page. So I hope that if you are not already a member, you will join. And if you have the ability to sponsor us, five, 10, $15, whatever you can afford, that would be great also. Uh, enough for this commercial now. Now, this is something that I don't think you would have seen on mainstream media just quietly. I'm not really sure. I know I have not seen it reported. This is um, the Gallup organization. Gallup is one of the organizations that is known for conducting large polls, uh, surveys. And in, in election years, they do a lot of polls. They're very well known and very well respected. And they've recently done a poll on industries that are trusted versus industries that are not. And this year, Big Pharma has become the least trusted industry in the United States, according to the Gallup poll. If it's reached a new low, and I don't think any of us would be surprised that that's the case, but what is surprising to me is that there are still so many people who will accept drugs and vaccines um, on a doctor's say-so without doing any investigation whatsoever themselves. So um, I just thought that was interesting. And I also think it's interesting that as far as I can see, uh, no media outlets have covered that. Um, in the United States, in a non-election year, pharmaceutical advertising makes up 70% of the income of every single mainstream newspaper, radio station, and television station because the U.S. is one of, I think, two countries. I think New Zealand is the other country. I'm not sure. I should have asked uh, Alia, but um, it's one of only two countries where direct-to-consumer pharmaceutical advertising is allowed, and 70% of the income comes from that. So stories like this come out, and you will generally not even hear about it uh, because it's not in the best interests of the pharmaceutical industry, uh, and therefore it's not in the best interests of the um, of the media to cover this. But despite that, it appears that the message is getting out because most people do not trust pharma. Uh, they trust used car salesmen more than they trust pharma, and that shows that we're smarter than the government, the media, and the medical community gives us credit for being. So uh, I'd just like to cover another couple of things quickly. Um, this is a professor in Canada got a $270,000 federal grant to study the HPV vaccine. And instead of coming out and saying, what a wonderful vaccine this is, I think everybody should be taking it. What she said is that there is no proof that the vaccine 
um, is going to do anything because there's no proof that the human papillomavirus causes cervical cancer, which is exactly what many virologists are saying. Peter Duisberg says this. Um, uh, Luc Montagnier says this. There are so many uh, immunologists, virologists, and research scientists who say that there is no evidence that HPV is causally associated with any cancer, let alone cervical cancer. And yet we are using this vaccine that is causing an incredible amount of harm and death um, to prevent a disease that may not be caused by the virus that's in the vaccine. And I know we've covered this in the past, but I do just want to reiterate that in countries like Australia and like the UK and the United States, where widespread use of the human papillomavirus vaccine, Gardasil, is being used, in the age group that the vaccine is administered to, there has been a sharp increase in cervical cancer. Prior to vaccination, the average age of uh, diagnosis for cervical cancer was, I believe, 57. It may have been 56. Now, young women in their 20s are more likely to be diagnosed with cervical cancer. That age group has shifted over 10 years since the vaccine came in. So we are most likely causing cervical cancer through the use of this vaccine rather than preventing it. And it's something that we need to be aware of because this vaccine targets not only young women, but young men. And now uh, the age group has been increased up to the age of 44, which is simply negligent. Um, Merck itself, the company that makes the vaccine, has stated openly that if you are already infected with one of the strains, the nine strains of uh, HPV, the human papillomavirus that's in the vaccine, if you are positive for any of those before vaccination, your risk of getting cancer after vaccination increases by 45% or 49.5%. It's very close to 50%. So why are people not being tested to see if they have any of these strains before being given a vaccine? Probably because that would mean that a lot less people would be vaccinated because the rate of infection, and I hate to use that word because it's not really an infection, HPV. It's a symptomless um, uh, status in most cases, but the rate of people who have a positive status for these strains of human papillomavirus uh, would be in the 80 to 90% range. And that would mean that none of them would be able to get the vaccine. And that would be a very poor business decision. If we don't test before giving the vaccine, we can give it to everybody. And uh, right now the age group has been expanded up to the age of 44. I fully expect that before long, we will be vaccinating newborns against Gardas against with the Gardasil vaccine. Um, okay, just another couple of quick things. I just want to remind everyone that the AVN is going to be going down to Tasmania. And I think, as far as I know, this is the first time that we've done an event in Tasmania. So it's pretty special. Uh, we're going to be in Launceston on the 25th of October and in Hobart on the 27th of October for screenings of Robert Kennedy's talk about the human papillomavirus vaccine and how dangerous and ineffective it is. Now, it doesn't matter if you've already seen the documentary. 
these are amazing events because of two things. One, you get to spend time and meet other people who are like-minded, people who feel the same way as you do. So you find out you're not alone, you get support, and you make friends. That's a great reason to come along. The other reason is for the Q&A because our Q&As, I hope this doesn't sound um, swelled headed, but I think our Q&As are the best part of the events because people ask the most amazing questions. And I think that we really and truly gain more knowledge from the Q&A than we do from anything else because we get to actually find out what we want to know, not necessarily what was in the film. So I think that if you are in Launceston or in Hobart or close enough to go to one of these events, um, I would really like to urge you to do it. Uh, the people who are down there and are organizing this have worked really hard to make them successful. So let's sell out both of these events. And I'm looking forward to meeting you when I go down there in October. And just one more quick thing. Um, we have spoken. I think last time and probably many times uh, about what's happening on social media and how we are being uh, censored. And what's happened this last week is that uh, Facebook has basically doubled down on their censorship. Facebook and Instagram, they're both aimed by, oh, sorry, both owned by Mark Zuckerberg and the Facebook company. Um, they have now started putting pop-up windows up when you do a search for vaccination or if you look for Australian Vaccination Risks Network or, uh, you know, childhood vaccine safety, anything like that, a pop-up window will come up. And I believe that you cannot even click through that window, basically saying, if you're looking for information about vaccination, be aware that there's a lot of misinformation out there. Go to the CDC because they're going to tell you the truth. And I got to tell you, that's a one great big lie because the CDC is basically a pharmaceutical company and a vaccine manufacturer. They earn $5 billion U.S. every year from vaccines on which they hold patents. They are not going to tell you the truth about vaccines. In fact, they quite openly lie about vaccination. Um, they are the organization behind the uh, MMR whistleblower, Dr. William Thompson. He was instructed along with the other researchers at the CDC to destroy information proving that the MMR vaccine is positively associated with autism, especially in black boys. And uh, the fact that Facebook is sending people to the CDC for information on vaccination instead of allowing them to access real science from other locations is just another sign that Facebook and Instagram are as corrupt as the pharmaceutical industry and as the media. So I want you to be aware of that. The AVN does have a presence on several other um, social media locations that are a lot less uh, restrictive at this point in time. MeWe is one, though I've heard things about MeWe that may not be that good. Um, Gab.ai. And the thing is that we don't really have time to uh, deal with all these different locations. So at this point in time, we're not updating those locations very often. But if we get closed down on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram and on YouTube, 
Um, we are on Brighteon as well as on YouTube, and Brighteon is run by the Health Ranger by Natural News, and it is an absolutely open location for us at this point in time. So uh, I do want to make you aware of that. Should we disappear off of any of these other um, social media outlets, you can still find us on Gab.ai, MeWe, and Brighteon. And I think that's all the locations that I don't remember. There is so many social media outlets out there, but um, yeah, those are the ones that, that you will be able to find us on should we uh, be kicked off with Facebook. And other than that, I think that's about it. Thank you for sticking with us. I'm sorry for the uh, difficulties, the technical difficulties. Uh, once again, I had a few videos that I wanted to show you, but that wasn't to be. But I will be back next week um, at 10 o'clock, I hope, with another interview with a very special person. And I will give you more information about that as the week progresses. So thank you again for joining us on Under the Wire, which is your home for censored and blocked, sorry, censored and blocked information. And I will see you again next week. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.